We will be reading from Genesis 11 today. So Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Thank you so much, Emily, for reading, and apologize for about an octave lower in my voice today. Um, yeah, I think everybody, I've talked to 10 people who have a, a, a voice a little bit lower today, so I'm grateful, I'm feeling fine, just... Um, Sorry for you to have to listen to a little bit of a scratchy throat here. I only uh, squeaked, my voice only cracked twice in the early service. So that's the over-under that I'm trying to make sure we don't hit today. The story of the Tower of Babel has a pretty clear message, and I don't think you can miss it. God can put humans in our place. We can be prideful, and God shows people He's ultimately and always in control. And that's true, and that's a thousand times true. God does know how to humble people, putting them in their place. God does resist the proud. Pride does go toward destruction. So those messages are clear, and we're going to get back to the Tower of Babel in just a moment. Tower of Babel's in Genesis 11, at the risk of stating the obvious, what precedes that is Genesis 10, which is you read the two together. One thing that's a little bit out of the ordinary is the events in 11 seem to come before or at least somewhere during the chap chapter 10. So it seems like there's out of sequence, out of chronology, out of order in some way. And generally when that happens, there's a reason. And there are several clues in 11 and 10 that are going to tell us what's going on. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, a paper copy or a digital copy in front of you, I do want to tell you, and, and if you do, take a look at chapter 10, and what you'll find is it's a list of names and nations and civilizations and cities. It's just a straight-up list of those. And scholars who study the Bible a lot call it a table of nations. There's tons of names in that. It's a chapter that if you're reading through the Bible, like, it may be one that you'd be prone to skip because, again, it has so many names that are foreign to us. We don't necessarily know exactly what it's saying, maybe even how to pronounce all the names. I will say if you're a map person, like if you like maps, then Genesis 10 is for you. You can study that, and you could probably study it the next week on all the different places that are represented, and it, it is a pretty amazing study. 
But it's challenging because Genesis 10 doesn't track an individual. So it's not like it's a story of, or even a couple, it's not a story of Adam and Eve, and it's not a story of Cain and Abel. It's not just a story of Noah, not a story of Abraham or Jacob or Joseph, like a lot of the rest of Genesis. It's about groups and families and migration patterns. And again, it's kind of hard to dig in exactly and figure out what's going on there. But listen, the whole point of scripture is that we would know God better. And that's, you see our series. I and mean, we've been in Genesis for a while, if you're just joining us. The idea is we would look at Genesis and it would help us know who God is and what he's like and what he is what he has done, what he is doing. And God is speaking in this chapter, even Genesis 10 with all of its names and nations. I think every chapter reveals a little bit more of who he is. And even the names and nations can help us realize some important things. So let's start here. I think Genesis 10 would teach you that God's glory shines through people. God's glory shines through individuals, through people. People matter to God. Of course, God himself is always the centerpiece. We never want to get that wrong. But, but having said that, I think a powerful message that just seems to keep coming back and back and back to me in the book of Genesis is how much people matter to God. And it's not just Genesis because a lot of places you turn in scripture, if you've ever like gone through and read the whole Bible through, what's a little bit unique is you're going to read lists of names in lots of places. I mean, there are many, many places where the story that God is writing, he will take time to list individuals' names. It's because it's like hammering that point home. People matter to God. If I made a comparison, I've read a lot of American history, read a lot of uh, military history. And generally, like, I'm not reading a military history, and it's not, it's not taking five pages to list all the people in the battalion, all the people in the company, it doesn't work like that. If they ever list a bunch of names, it's always in the appendix because I'm really not going to be interested in reading. It's like, here, here's my inclination. You tell me who the important people are. You tell me what the important people did. But how different the Bible is. Genesis 10 says, here's the list of people. And I love the words of Francis Schaeffer who says, with God, there are no little people. There are no little people. God created a world where humans are sharing the most important thing in common, and that is we bear God's image. We reflect God, and we reflect him, like let's, let's face it, we reflect him much like the mirror at a carnival or a circus where it's like it distorts and it makes things look strange. That's often our reflection of God, but there's still a reality in that mirror. Of like you still can tell something real is there, and that's how God has made us to be. But I think of each list of the names in Genesis 10, and I'm reminded that embedded in the list of names that I might quickly like fast forward and not really pay attention to, embedded in all of those are stories, a ton of them. Stories of pain and stories of joy, stories of seasons of change, stories of marriages, stories of miscarriages, Stories of disease, stories of death, stories of birthdays and anniversaries. And we see in all of that, God is putting his glory on display. He's, God is shining through. He's saying this is, this is at least 
what I'm like, a, a taste of what I'm like. So we're, we're walking through Genesis 10, and, and that does shine through as God takes the time, slows down, and says, here, here are names, here are nations, here are cities, here are civilizations. But as we grow in the knowledge of God, Genesis 10 also reminds us of something else, and that is that God's will for those humans, for those people, for those individuals is to fill the earth, to fill the earth. By that, I mean, yes, God created people to live in a world where there would be diverse languages and diverse cultures and diverse nations and diverse ethnicities. So a part of, a part of his good design, his good intention for the world is diversity. And it's easy to go, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, diversity, everybody hears about diversity. I mean, it's, it would be hard to like to sell a brand or sell a company without like, yeah, we're diverse around here. I mean, that, that's part of it, and we know that. And I think we may even misunderstand that word in our culture the way we should understand it. It's taken for granted. But hold up, God, God designed this. God designed diversity. God had a bigger goal in mind than just like managing a brand. And you see that even in Genesis 10. You see it in like verse 5, verse 20, verse 31. I want you to see it because there are, there are lands and languages and clans and nations. Of course, humans are the same in so many ways. But do you see how like it takes time to say in each one of these ways, of course, there'd be mixing and mingling of cultures and ethnicities. There's beauty that each culture brings and all the different ways humans organize themselves. So, many, so much of it's represented there, isn't it? There's something amazing and distinct. So as people, like this was the plan from the beginning, make no mistake, as people would fill the earth, they would spread out and groups of people would form an identity and they would have a shared name and they would build roots and they would form traditions and they would have a sense of place and kinship. So even if you read, again, if you like maps, there's the descendants of Japheth and a lot of those end up by the sea and so they're kind of seagoing people. And then there's, there's the descendants of Ham and a lot of those build cities. This is the design, filling the earth. You'll see interesting too, I didn't count them, but I read plenty of books that did count them, and there's 70 nations represented. 70 nations, and not every number in the Bible means, uh, has special significance, but when you have a seven and you have a 10, it is saying something of like perfection and completion. It's like when, when, when the earth is filled out, this is what it looks like. It's complete. And yet in the midst of that 70 nations that spread out, and you can kind of track where it all spread out from the Middle East, and in the midst of that, there is a hint that like all is not well, even as God's, you know, God's plan is happening. It's not just in chapter 11 where the Tower of Babel is built. In chapter 10, there are things that don't seem quite right. As a matter of fact, one of the individuals that you are introduced to in Genesis chapter 10, in verse 8, is Nimrod. So this is what verse 8 says in Genesis 10. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. And in this particular place, the language is not saying that's a positive thing or a good thing. Okay? He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Again, this isn't a positive thing. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. And you read a little bit later there, Nineveh, that great city. What you realize is 
Nimrod is not just founder of people. Like, did you read that? He's, he's building a kingdom. He is a conqueror. He is subjugating other people. He is taking control. He is ruling. It's this aggressive expansion, even with geography. Like, he's going all over the place to expand his kingdom. Almost reminds me of World War II and the expansion there. And what it says, I mean, by the names like Babel, Assyria, and Nineveh, and if you've read the Bible much, you know those names are not positive. Like those are against God and his people. Which makes us take note that God's will is constantly resisted. God's will is constantly resisted. That is a steady theme in Genesis, isn't it? God says to humans, here is what I want. And Genesis 3, in the garden, Eve and Adam rebel against him. In Genesis 4, God warns Cain and Cain kills Abel anyway. In Genesis 5, it's almost like there is these godless generations that don't factor God in any way. In Genesis 6, it tells us that there are evil intentions of, of our heart continually. In Genesis 9, Noah Noah makes a mess of the end of his life. I mean, this is God's will constantly resisted. By the end, you've gotten a message. You've gotten it loud and clear. We're living in a world that is sinful. We have a hostile spiritual enemy. And we have flesh that is fallen. And God's will is constantly resisted. God just seems to fade from human consciousness for a while in these chapters. I mean, as I said, at some point... Okay, we have the story. We have the story of Genesis 11 taking somewhere, taking place somewhere in the story, and, and in the names and nations of Genesis 10. And instead of filling out and spreading out and all the diverse cultures and languages and lands, something else happens. And so, again, if you have your Bible, could you go to Genesis 11? Because let's let's go back. Emily read a moment ago the story of the Tower of Babel. Can we go back to it? Because I want you to see how God's will is resisted here. Because Look at verse 2. So as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they settled there. Not spreading out. They're kind of gathering, congregating, and settling there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So I don't know all of what that means, but it does seem to imply there's some new technology going on that allows them to build in such a way that they couldn't build before, where they could build in Babel like, like they had not before. And just a side note, a side note on technology in general. And I, it's not like I hate technology. I, I don't want to go back to the dark ages. I'm grateful for modern medicine, grateful for modern technology. But just a side note here, technology always seems to promise, like, the world's going to be better if we just bring everybody together. That is going to be the promise of every bit of technology. Like, the world's going to be a better place. It's going to bring people together. What could we do if we just... And technology will promise and promise and promise that, but often the problem with technology is it assumes the best of human nature. And you and I should know better that we take technology that, yes, it could be used for a million good things. And we just will twist it. As a culture, we'll twist it. As a government, we'll twist I mean, this is, this is the record of human history. Again, 
maybe the stated goal to like, we're going to better the world, let's all just come together. But as you study human life, there's a dark side. Just wise for us. Christians of all people should know this. We should know this. We should be aware of it. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. If you didn't get the message, like, those aren't prayers. Those aren't prayers there. This is a group of humans arrogantly saying, Here's what we're going to do, here's what won't be stopped. It's a group of humans saying, we will be one people, we will have one language, we will be gathered in one place under one name, and that name will be ours. We will make a name for ourselves. So they, they built the tower, and the tower, most people would say it's, it's something like a pyramid, but it has like stair steps going up, and, and it's interesting. A writer said it was meant to function like a stairway to heaven, a prideful attempt to achieve something by human effort, when in, re, in reality... Access to God is something only he can give. So we got that image in our mind of this tower. But I do want to pause and make sure you realize we're not just talking about building projects here. This isn't a building project assessment. Because something else is going, going on. They're building, they're building the tower because it seems like two reasons, right? They want to make a name for themselves lest they be dispersed. So they want to it's like they want to make a name for themselves and they don't want to leave themselves dispersed in a vulnerable position. What's driving this is pride. Like we can come together and make our name great and security. So we'll build so we won't be in danger. I don't know how many years it's been since this whole tower was built, but we have not left those impulses behind. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. I think in the human, human heart, like we want, we want to know our lives are significant. We want to know we mattered. But man, that becomes all that matters to us at times. Like people are going to know who I am and I'm going to make a difference. And, and then it turns into something warped like, you know, I created everything. I did that. You know, and you begin to, to not recognize so many people that made you the person you are. But you feel like, no, if, it will, if I didn't just by sheer force of will make all this, then none of it would ever happen. I did this. I created myself. And to what lengths are we going to go to to make sure, like, that's the pride? But what about the security? To what lengths are we going to go to? to how hard do we work just to make sure our life isn't, isn't the slightest bit miserable or uncomfortable? To make sure in no way we would get hurt or our family hurt. We're protected. We want to make sure we're insulated. We don't want to lose anything. I will say that just seems to be how we're wired. And God knows our frame. So I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want anybody in here thinking, you know what God wants to do with 100% of us is just pulverize us. He doesn't. But I can tell you what God wants. We don't need to make a name for ourselves when he has given us his name. And our value is wrapped up in him. And I think the Lord would speak to our desire for security and he would say maybe to you, maybe you need to hear this loud and clear in your, in your ears today. We don't have to create our own defenses. What he does is he calls us to trust and rely on him. And Psalms over and over again says, he's our shield and our fortress, our refuge, our protector. And these people aren't thinking of God's will. They're not thinking of God's glory. They're trying to do what God will never let be done. And as you get to know 
as you get to know God, you do learn this, right? God's good purposes do win in the end. God's good purposes win in the end. I hope you've read enough of the Bible. Enough of the Bible to know that we have a really big God who is sovereign over us, sovereign over the details of our life. And we have a really good God. And the way this scene is described, it really paints the picture well. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It it describes kind of the the building project and and how the Lord responds to it. Verse 5, and the Lord... Notice the, the word choice here. It's, it's, it means something. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. It may be, it very well may be possible that because I am so sarcastic, everybody who knows me knows that, that I read this, but I think there's at least a hint of like, so we got people building this really big, great thing and it's amazing and everybody, like everybody would know about it, but God has to condescend as if he's going down to find the, this little mini Lego project that someone's doing. Like, oh, I wonder what's going on down there. I mean, that is the language, that is the tone. This great big building project. The Lord says, behold, or look at them. They're one people who have one language. This is only beginning what they'll do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. I don't want you to get confused by this. Okay, the tower's impressive. But in the scope of human history, much less eternity, this is like, this is small ball. This is not, not that much. And this certainly is no threat to God's authority. So God's not wringing his hands here. And the attempt to resist, like their attempt to resist the fill the earth, God had commanded like fill the earth and now they're not doing that. What they refuse to do in obedience, God's just going to do for them. God's going to do for them. That's what it says in verse 8, right? So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. Hence we have the Genesis 10, right? And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It is an ugly scene. You know, when, when empires or building projects or like nations begin to fall, I mean, there are victims, people get hurt. So I'm not smug about this. In real-time situations, like when this blows up, it's painful. But still you have to recognize God's good purposes. What's interesting to me is there are two things that remain of, of Babel. Right? So when it's all said and done, here's God's good purposes. Two things that remain of Babel. So what we're told in the passage would be, the first thing would be an unfinished, half-built tower that shows where life without God will go. So what do we get from the tower about? What do we get at the end? What's left of all of it? Well, you have a half-constructed monument. Have you seen that? Have you ever been in a city? I've been in cities in the world. I've been in cities in the U.S. that, like where there's a building that got started but didn't quite finish. It's just kind of a monument. They didn't, they didn't get the job done. Never crossed the finish line. And that's one thing for buildings, but it's another thing when it like begins to like root in our lives like that. So I don't know, can we, can we make an application here? What, what are the things that you have attempted to build 
and create of your own strength and to fortify you and to make your name great? What are the things that we build? Because certainly there are building projects of achievement, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to accomplish this. But then it, it, it ends up being half built because, because you fail, because you lose. Maybe someone cheats you out of being able to achieve something. And so you never quite achieve what you really, really wanted to achieve. And there's a monument to a, a half-built project. Or maybe it's the control, like you're building a sense of like, I control. I, and of course, no one thinks they're a controlling person, but maybe, maybe everybody else would say, like you have to have your way all the time and you have to have things your way. And, and what's gonna end up is you're building this thing, but you're gonna end up hurting people. And it's gonna be half-built. You're never gonna be able to control everything and it's gonna end up hurting others, probably that really matter to you. Or maybe that you are building, kind of just ordering your life. Maybe you're ordering it even in such a way where like you are planning in advance how you're going to stage your life so that it'll be social media worthy. Everybody can see like, this is the way you do it. And you've got it all planned out, but you and I both know it's not going to go like that. A choice you make, a choice someone else makes, is going to blow that whole plan up and break your heart and maybe change your life. And maybe your building project is approval and you just want everybody to appreciate you, like you, and you're building, you're building, and it seems like it's going well, but then your worst fear is realized and you feel like for all your attempt to gain their approval, they actually, actually think less of you. Worst fears are realized and you lose something, and maybe sometimes you know, like, I'll never get it back. You know, when I say God's good purposes win in the end, nothing about what I've just said looks like a win. When you have ambitions and goals and dreams go up in smoke and you have a half-built monument to failure, that's Babel. And speaking of Babel, that's the second thing that's left, right? You have the monument that's half-built, the tower that's half-built, and you have a name. You have a name attached to that, right? The name Babel, the name that now is associated with confusion and even dispersion. So they wanted to make a name. I think the scripture is telling us something. They wanted to make a name. They got a name. Here's the name, Babel, and it's derivative Babylon. The, the name which says, this is what it looks to ultimately fail big time. That's the name you made. I mean, it, it is sobering. It is sobering. What I do realize, though, is the stage is being set, and we'll talk about this more next week, but God is going to use the wreckage and the judgment and the dispersion, and we'll see exactly how he is going to bring blessing out of all this mess and he will do that because God's good purposes do win in the end so much of what I read this week in Genesis 10 and 11 reminded me reminded me the life of Jesus because people did want to leverage him to make their name great or to get what they wanted I mean, constantly, they wanted Jesus, like, maybe he'll make food for us on demand. Maybe he'll, I mean, at times, there were so many attempts to capitalize on his popularity, like, we're going to rush him and make him king, and then he'll accomplish what we want, and then we'll be in charge, and we can take it by force, and he's, in some ways, almost the mascot, but then we'll get what we want. And so they're building this kind of construction of what they thought Jesus would do for them, and then, and then when he hung on the cross... All of that must look like a miserable failure, right? It seemed like so much. I mean, on that day on the cross, on Good Friday, it, it seemed like so much of what he started, he wasn't going to finish. He wasn't going to complete. 
I know they had to hear him say it is finished, but surely they thought it is far from finished. That's why even they're mocking him saying, you saved others. You're not even saving yourself. You, you seem to have this great connection with God, but apparently not. Apparently it's not what we thought it was. Is this the way it would end? God's good purposes thwarted. Well, no, that's not the way it would end because Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. It was never meant to show up in some, oh, some monument or building project. God's good purposes were most definitely not thwarted. When Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, and starts gathering people in his name, building his church, which is a display of his glory, not ours. And one more piece of powerful writing. So that, I mean, we were, we're kind of in the front part of the Bible, right? But then you go all the way to the back part of the Bible. And the whole subject of Babel, Babylon comes up again. You read the book of Revelation, which was written by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' first followers. And the whole subject of Babylon comes up in several times, and right there at the end. And it's a picture, it's a symbol of like humans at the peak of their achievement and rebellion against God. It's like at the peak. Here's what it looks like at the peak. And what it says in the end of scripture is that Babylon has this epic collapse. And this time it's not like half built, it's like totally wiped out. It is done. There's no trace of it ever left again. It is this powerful symbol of what happens. That's Babel. That's where, that's where it's all going. And by the way, and I say this, like that's where your life is going if you don't have God in it. If you haven't turned to Jesus Christ, it just all gets decimated and then you have nothing. That's what scripture promises. But after describing that collapse, it's like revelation is not finished because there's this final word to Jesus' followers. And it gives us one more city. And that city is not Babel. And that city doesn't reach up into the heavens. That city, and just an amazing piece of poetry, that city comes down from heaven to earth. God comes down to earth. And I want to read it without comment. I'm just going to read several portions, uh, a portion of Revelation 21 and 22, and we'll be done. But as you listen to these words, I do want these to land on your soul if, you, if you've not met Jesus. I want you to listen for the invitation that he's going to give you in these words. And if you're resting in Jesus, I want you to, to just rejoice that our life isn't going to go up in smoke one day but there will be meaning forever. Can I read the words of scripture? This is what John says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and we, he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city doesn't even need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And all the nations, okay, all the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates, its gates these gates of this new city will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring all the glory and honor of the nations into it. 
the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him and we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And look, I am coming soon. So let anyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life, let them take it freely. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So come, Lord Jesus. Revelation closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Father, what a powerful picture of your son making all things right. How amazing that looks compared to my failed building projects. The things that I cling so tightly to that could evaporate in a moment. Oh Lord, I pray that whatever whatever stuff we're trying to build, that you would, you would wreck it before it's eternally too late. And I pray there would be a multitude of people here, hundreds, relying and turning to you. What we ask, Lord, is that you would be our vision, that we would see by faith what we may not even be able to see with our eyes, that we would see clearly who you are and what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for reminding us of that. We look forward to... Uh, seeing you face to face. Come quickly, Lord. Amen.